do everything for the glory of God. Everything for the glory of God. I think the American cultural gospel is do everything for the glory and pleasure of yourself. I think it's completely antithetical to this. So before I got married, I actually dated a pretty famous professional tennis player. We ended up breaking up because love meant nothing to her. That is such a good tennis joke. <laughs> Welcome to episode, what number is this? 141. So good to be with you. If this is your first time joining us, enjoy that dad joke. That happens at the beginning of every episode. You have that to look forward to. But especially if this is your first time listening, please make sure you rate and review this podcast. Share it with others who you think may benefit from it. That's how other people find out. The highest compliment you can pay us is to share this with your friends and family. And if you do that on social media, make sure you tag us at Man of Food for Thought on Instagram. You can find all of our social information, our media, handles all of that on our website manafoodforthought.com all spelled out where you can also click on the patreon tab and become a financial donor for as little as one dollar a month to help cover the cost of this podcast and patrons get perks so thank you for being a patron if you have listened before and you are returning please make sure you have also rated and reviewed this podcast that would be a great help but without further ado let's get into our joy junk and jesus for this episode my joy from the past few weeks um is that uh, this past weekend, my wife, my wife has a book club with one of my uh, high school best friends who was my prom date and very good friend. Uh, they connected after, obviously, um, I started dating Erica and they became very good friends. So they have this book club and they had a book club Christmas brunch at our house. And I got to cook a little bit for that. And then I got to go out with the kids on an adventure and come back and hang out with them a little. And um, my friend ended up sticking around so uh, her and my wife and I could chat and hang out. And so it was just it was just a really fun community day, even though I wasn't part of a, a, a big portion of it because it was kind of their thing. I still got to be there and kind of serve them and, you know, s greet them and, and kind of see that energy and joy in the house and then go spend time with my kids. And it was just a nice day. So um, that was really joyful. Uh, my junk is that my back, y'all, I know I keep saying it and I'm going to the chiropractor and I'm doing the things and I'm stretching. I'm, I'm keeping moving and I'm trying not to, you know, sit in ways or do things I'm not supposed to be doing, but it hurts, you know? So pray for healing for me. I'd much appreciate it. My legs are doing much better. So thank you for, for all the prayers for that. Keep them coming. It, your prayers are slowly working their way up from my toes. So my back is going to be last. So, um, yeah, thank you. And my Jesus moment this past week is that our band got to play and lead worship for um, Tanner, who's our youth minister here, who's great. He um, coordinated a big, huge, like kind of youth and young adult oriented mass with extra worship and a talk beforehand and invited families and the parish. And so there are a couple hundred people here and it was just, it was really great to worship and, and play with our band again, which we don't get to play together as often um, since the pandemic. So uh, we've done maybe three or four things together, but um, yeah, it's really nice to be able to do that. So yeah, it's just been a great, wonderful week. And um, yeah, so let's get into the episode. Uh, by the time you hear this, Merry Christmas. It'll be Christmas Eve at the earliest. And so a Merry Christmas to you. Um, we plan these podcast episodes to be based off whatever the upcoming Sunday's readings are, specifically the second reading. Uh, if you are like, why the second reading, Matt? Well, that's because we have Bible study episodes that have the uh, gospel reading and often tie to the first reading. 
I write a weekly uh, psalm reflection based on the responsorial psalm, and so the reading that is left is a second reading, and we try and use that to help inspire some topic for the weekly podcast episode that comes out on Saturdays. So um, because it's Christmas weekend, there are a lot of different uh, types of readings you might get. So the two main liturgies you'll probably hear is the uh, readings for the day before for the Vigil Mass and the readings for Christmas Day. And so the second reading for the Vigil Mass is from Acts of the Apostles. The reading, second reading for Christmas Day is from Hebrews chapter 1. And I was reading both of them, trying to think about which one to pick, and then things stood out to me in both. So you're going to get both. Twofer. Look at what I do for you. Aren't I just so generous? So uh, I just want to share the, the few lines in each that stood out to me. So the reading from Acts of the Apostles has to do with uh, this uh, moment in the synagogue in, in Antioch uh, where Paul stands up and he starts preaching, and he starts talking about, um, you know, Jesus being in the line of David and promising a Savior in Jesus Christ, and talks about John the Baptist uh, announcing the way. And he says this line in his speech in, in Antioch. He says, um, as John was completing his course, he would say, who do you suppose that I am? I am not he. Behold, one is coming after me. I am not worthy to unfasten the sandals of his feet. So that line, okay, John saying, who do you suppose that I am? I am not he. Behold, one is coming after me. And then in the second reading for Christmas Day from Hebrews chapter 1, this is one of the more ancient hymns in the early church. Uh, you see these also in Philippians chapter 2, um, Colossians chapter 1, uh, even some argue parts of the prologue of John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. And so um, very kind of um, Christocentric kind of hymn in, in, in the first uh, chapter of Hebrews. But... Um, there's a line in this that says, uh, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, this day I've begotten you. Or again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And again, when the, when he leads the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. Okay. So these two things in Acts chapter 13, John saying, I am not he, one is coming after me. And then in Hebrews chapter one, the writer of Hebrews saying, God never said to any angel, you're my son, I've begotten you, or that I will be a father to you and you'll be a son to me. No, all the angels are supposed to worship him, okay? So I saw these two lines and I was like, these are really kind of converging on a common theme here. And, and, and there's, there's really two main points here is, you know, who do we listen to and who do we give glory to, okay? Because it's clear in both these readings, like there's only one Jesus and God doesn't give any glory or attention equal to Jesus to any other created being whether it's an angel, a human being, whatever it is. And even John, as great as his mission was to announce the, the proclamation of the kingdom of God, to announce uh, there is, you know, of being the voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord, he is always first to acknowledge, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one you're waiting for. And then the letter of Hebrews saying like, look, you may be, you know, really attached to this or this idea of an angel coming to you, or this particular, you know, preacher or whatever. But there's there's no one, no angel, even if an angel comes and preaches to you another message. The point here of Hebrews chapter 1, that Paul is saying, to no angel, to no other being, did God say, you are my begotten son. So who are you going to listen to, and who are you going to give the glory to? Okay, so first, who are you going to listen to? Both of these readings, these are about recognizing the importance of Jesus, and that there's something unique, something different, something special about him. And so, do you acknowledge that in your life based on, like, let me say it this way. Do you give Jesus the space to be the first and primary voice in your life? 
And who else do you listen to and why? Like how much credence or trust do you place in the voices of others above the voice of God? You know, when, when you have a decision to make, when you need advice, is God your first choice or is he your last resort? Okay, this reminds me of a couple different scripture passages. One is this very famous one from Proverbs chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. On your own intelligence do not rely. In all your ways be mindful of him, and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So a lot of times we'll trust our own instincts first. We'll trust ourselves. We'll come up with the plan. We want to be in control. We want to be in the driver's seat. And we'll have an idea. And maybe we'll seek out affirmation or approval from other people. Or we'll try and present our plans to God and ask him to bless them. But when you have a decision to make, when things are getting anxious or difficult or worrisome in your life, do you turn inward to yourself first or do you turn to God? Because okay? in John 15, 5, this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit because without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. And yet so often in life, when we are coming up against big decisions or crisis moments, we leave God out and we wonder why nothing is happening and nothing is changing. Well, it's because without him, we can't do anything. And so do you give God first place, prior place? Is he the priority of voices in your life? Is he the first influence, the first person you consult? There's this great story about Mother Teresa. I think it's Mother Teresa. Or it might be Mother Angelica. I don't know, one of the mothers. Um, and there's a story where they had gotten new shoes. And the first thing they did when they got these new shoes is they brought them to chapel in adoration to show Jesus their new shoes and to celebrate with him and to thank him for them. Like that, like that shows like the first thing on that person's mind was, I got to bring this to the Lord. Even though it wasn't an issue, it wasn't a problem. That was something good. I mean, how, how even less frequently we do things like that. But even when it comes to our problems, still is God first? Or do we try and figure it out on our own? Do we complain? Do we whine? Do we talk it out with our spouse and talk it out with our friends and we hash it out over and over again? We type out or draft that email. We say, oh, is this a good thing to say to try and remedy the situation? We rehearse the conversation in our head. You know, we might even watch a video on how to come across the right way to get what we want or to try and fix things, whatever it is. But do we consult the Lord first and foremost in all things? And then do we have a daily repetition and pattern of listening to him? Because we can't just come to God when we have a problem. Imagine if I only talked to my wife when there was an issue. You know, all of our conversations were conflict resolution or arguments. Like that would be awful. So how am I checking in with the Lord and actively listening to him, growing in relationship with him, so that I am training myself in that ability to come to him with both the good, with both the bad, both the good and the bad frequently every single day, no matter the situation. Is he your first choice or your last resort? Okay, so who do you listen to? And secondly, who do you give the glory to? Recognize both John and the writer of Hebrews are talking about like no one who is of God is going to point to themselves. Right? John the Baptist pointed to Jesus, always away from himself. Always away from himself. In fact, he's credited in scripture in, of saying he must increase, I must decrease. Like you must go to Jesus. There must be more of him and less of me. Like, what a beautiful example. All of the angels, the messengers of the Lord, they're not there to tell people how great and glorious they are as angels. They're always bringing a message to proclaim the goodness of God and God's plan for our salvation. So what do we do? Do we point to ourselves or to Jesus? 
I, I will tell you, it's very easy to fall into the temptation of wanting to be liked and affirmed and included, wanting people to say congratulations or give us credit for the good things that we do. It feels good when those things happen. But is that what we're seeking? You know, I see this a lot in ministry. I see a lot of churches trying, leading, trying to lead people closer to their community or to their pastor or to their youth ministry or to their small group or to their program and not closer to Jesus. And guess what? When that pastor leaves or that church changes or they have a bad experience in that ministry or that youth minister leaves or they graduate high school, whatever happens, they suddenly leave the church and sometimes become resentful or hurt. Because they never had a relationship with Jesus. They had a relationship with an earthly person or group or community. And don't get me wrong, those things aren't bad. But when you put them in the place of Jesus, when they're first, when they're the reason you're showing up, then that is disordered. Okay? Romans 11.36 puts it very clearly. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. For from him and through him and for him are all things. Everything points to him, flows from him, is through him in our life. So are we standing in the way of that? Are we trying to take that position in other people's lives or in our own life? Are we trying to be God? Are we trying to be in control, be the one who gets the attention, the glory, the affirmation? Or are we pointing others to God? I have to constantly be on keeping myself in check to ask myself, am I leading other people closer to Jesus or am I leading people closer to me? So it helps to have those boundaries. It helps to know always my mission is to point to Jesus. I don't have to babysit anyone or carry them the whole way to the Lord. Like they have to make that decision. But I want, I want to constantly be pointing them in the right direction. Even if I'm not in that same place on my journey. Even if it's a signpost way back where I was or if they're way ahead of me, I'm going to keep fixing my eyes on the Lord and pointing them onward. I'm not going to hold them back and say, no, stay here and walk with me. Or I'm not going to yell back and say, okay, keep running, keep running until you get where I am and then stay here. No, go forward on that journey. 1 Corinthians 10.31 uh, says, "Whatever, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Everything for the glory of God. I think the American cultural gospel is do everything for the glory and pleasure of yourself. I think it's completely antithetical to this. If you look at the way our culture is built, the way we have um, maximized and capitalized on comfort and luxury and efficiency, productivity, all these books coming out about automating things, being productive, being efficient. I read a lot of them. I praise myself sometimes for being able to do some of those things. But it can distract from the fact that it's all about God. He has the glory. When we do those things, it's often so that I can do more, I can get more, I can work more, I can get more attention, more money, more promotions, whatever it is. So is everything that I do for the glory of God? Do people look at my life and they say, do they say, wow, Matt is just so great and so perfect and he has his life so together. I wish I could be more like him. Or do they say, and what I hope they say is, wow, Matt is really joyful and he seems like his life is going in a certain direction. And that is probably because he loves the Lord. That's what I hope they say, at like the very least. To be able to at least see that the good things in my life are because of the Lord. And when I face bad things in my life, I see them from a certain lens and I persist forward as joyfully as I can, as purposefully as I can, because I still am pursuing the Lord. In Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus says. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a mountain cannot be hidden, 
nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand where it gives light to all the house. Just so, your light must shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. Notice it doesn't say that they may see your good deeds and glorify you. No, that they may glorify your heavenly Father. So this doesn't mean that we shy away and humble ourselves to a point where we're just saying, oh no, don't pay any attention to me. I'm so terrible. I'm so horrible. It's all about the Lord and think less of ourselves or act in some kind of self-deprecating way because we think it's virtuous. No. It's about when the attention comes, when eyes are on us, we are always reflecting the glory of the Lord and directing people back to him. We are using that attractiveness that God has given us and the gifts he's given us and how the spirit works in us. We're using that to lure people to uh, lure people in to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And sometimes that happens through us using our gifts, but we cannot let them stay there with us. Yes, we can build friendships, build relationships, but in all that we do, we have to point them to Jesus. You know, I do a lot of like one-on-one I don't know what you'd call it, like uh, spiritual direction. You know, sometimes it takes on more of like counseling or just advice, but I do a lot of that. And I have to be conscious of constantly like, does this person just want to come and talk to me and because I give good advice? How am I directing them in what they're sharing toward Jesus and what I'm hearing God wants for them or what the, how the spirit is leading them? Because if they're just coming for what I've got, then that's just going to stop being beneficial as soon as I don't have the answer or if we can't meet one day or if I move on or move away or I have a different job, like then they're going to be in the same exact spot. But if I can consistently point out like, you know, I think the Lord's moving in your life in this way and you need to go to him in prayer more often in this way. You need to build your relationship with him in this way. Or maybe the Holy Spirit is asking you to do this. And so go and try that out, reflect on that and cultivating a deeper relationship with God so that if I leave or when I leave or when I die or whenever, you know, that that relationship or that one-on-one opportunity is no longer there, they are still being directed to pursue the Lord. They don't need me to do that. So the more I can become invisible, the more I can fade into the background, the more I can become just an instrument for God, God's glory to, to be known, the better. Okay? So, like, I lead worship— and so it's in a sense like, not that a worship leader is an entertainer, but if you think of like a um, a big, powerful, like celebrity singer or something, let's just take someone like, I don't know, Beyonce or Rihanna or Taylor Swift or whoever your person is. Um, we are not called to be that person who's center stage. At the very best, we're called to be the microphone or the guitar, the instrument that helps other people see the beauty of who that person is and what they're doing. And yes, they can use us, they can play us, and they can uplift what they're doing, but they don't need us to do it. No, they're still going to you know, be able to put on that show, whether they're playing the guitar or not, or there's some other sound happening or some other instrument, whatever it is. But we get to choose to participate in that. We're being invited to participate in it. But we just need to be on our guard and making sure that we are always pointing other people to God and not to ourselves, and that we are pointing ourselves to God and not seeking to listen to other voices or listen to ourselves first. So in the coming week, how can you ensure that you're bringing everything to the Lord, that God is not your last resort, but he is your first choice? And then to look at all the relationships in your life, all the people that maybe God is calling you to evangelize or the ways you're being called to use your gifts, the different responsibilities you have. Are you just seeking affirmation and attention? Are you leading people closer to you? Or are you going beyond that and fulfilling your mission to bring people along that journey to Jesus Christ and lead them further to him? 
so that he can satisfy their needs, so he can be the one that they seek out. It doesn't mean that you're no longer in the picture, but it also means you have to acknowledge like you're not the Messiah. You're not the problem fixer. You're not there to be the person that gets all the attention and all the glory from this person. You're there to love them into a deeper relationship with Jesus and have friends and family around you who are there to love you into a deeper relationship with Jesus. So I pray that happens for you, and I pray that reflection yields something fruitful in this coming Christmas season. And um, I pray that you will have opportunities to listen more deeply to God and to give him glory in whatever is coming your way and whatever gifts he's given you, whatever you have going on in the coming week. That's all I have for you this week. So God bless you, and I will see you in the Eucharist. Bye.